Judicial Interpretation In contrast to the other Reconstruction Amendments, the 13th Amendment was rarely cited in later case law. As historian Amy Drew Stanley summarizes, beyond a handful of landmark rulings striking down debt peonage, flagrant involuntary servitude, and some instances of race-based violence and discrimination, the 13th Amendment has never been a potent source of rights claims. Black Slaves and Their Descendants United States v. Rhodes, 1866, one of the first 13th Amendment cases, tested the constitutionality of provisions in the Civil Rights Act of 1866 that granted blacks redress in the federal courts. Kentucky law prohibited blacks from testifying against whites, an arrangement which compromised the ability of Nancy Talbot, a citizen of the United States of the African race, to reach justice against a white person accused of robbing her. After Talbot attempted to try the case in federal court, the Kentucky Supreme Court ruled this federal option unconstitutional. Noah Swain, a Supreme Court justice sitting on the Kentucky Circuit Court, overturned the Kentucky decision, holding that without the material enforcement provided by the Civil Rights Act, slavery would not truly be abolished. Within Re. Turner, 1867, Chief Justice Salmon P. Chase ordered freedom for Elizabeth Turner, a former slave in Maryland who became indentured to her former master. In Blyou v. United States, 1872, the Supreme Court heard another Civil Rights Act case relating to federal courts in Kentucky. John Blyou and George Kennard were white men visiting the cabin of a black family, the Fosters. Blyou apparently became angry with 16-year-old Richard Foster and hit him twice in the head with an axe. Blyou and Kennard killed Richard's parents, Sally and Jack Foster, and his blind grandmother, Lucy Armstrong. They severely wounded the Foster's two young daughters. Kentucky courts would not allow the Foster children to testify against Blyou and Kennard. Federal courts, authorized by the Civil Rights Act, found Blyou and Kennard guilty of murder. The Supreme Court ruled that the Foster children did not have standing in federal courts because only living people could take advantage of the act. In doing so, the courts effectively ruled that the 13th Amendment did not permit a federal remedy in murder cases. Swain and Joseph P. Bradley dissented, maintaining that in order to have meaningful effects, the 13th Amendment would have to address systemic racial oppression. The Blyou case set a precedent in state and federal courts that led to the erosion of Congress's 13th Amendment powers. The Supreme Court continued along this path in the Slaughterhouse Cases, 1873, which upheld a state-sanctioned monopoly of white butchers. In United States v. Cruikshank, 1876, the court ignored 13th Amendment dicta from a circuit court decision to exonerate perpetrators of the Colfax Massacre and invalidate the Enforcement Act of 1870. The 13th Amendment is not solely a ban on chattel slavery, it also covers a much broader array of labor arrangements and social deprivations. As the U.S. Supreme Court explicated in the Slaughterhouse Cases with respect to the 14th and 15th Amendment, and the 13th Amendment in particular. Undoubtedly while Negro slavery alone was in the mind of the Congress which proposed the 13th Article, it forbids any other kind of slavery, now or hereafter. If Mexican peonage or the Chinese coolie labor system shall develop slavery of the Mexican or Chinese race within our territory, this amendment may safely be trusted to make it void. And so if other rights are assailed by the states which properly and necessarily fall within the protection of these articles, that protection will apply, though the party interested may not be of African descent. But what we do say, and what we wish to be understood is, that in any fair and just construction of any section or phrase of these amendments, it is necessary to look to the purpose which we have said was the pervading spirit of them all, the evil which they were designed to remedy, and the process of continued addition to the Constitution, until that purpose was supposed to be accomplished, as far as constitutional law can accomplish it. In the civil rights cases, 1883, 
the Supreme Court reviewed five consolidated cases dealing with the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which outlawed racial discrimination at inns, public conveyances on land or water, theaters, and other places of public amusement. The court ruled that the 13th Amendment did not ban most forms of racial discrimination by non-government actors. In the majority decision, Bradley wrote, again in non-binding dicta, that the 13th Amendment empowered Congress to attack badges and incidents of slavery. However, he distinguished between fundamental rights of citizenship, protected by the 13th Amendment, and the social rights of men and races in the community. The majority opinion held that it would be running the slavery argument into the ground to make it apply to every act of discrimination which a person may see fit to make as to guests he will entertain, or as to the people he will take into his coach or cab or car, or admit to his concert or theater, or deal with in other matters of intercourse or business. In his solitary dissent, John Marshall Harlan, a Kentucky lawyer who changed his mind about civil rights law after witnessing organized racist violence, argued that such discrimination practiced by corporations and individuals in the exercise of their public or quasi-public functions is a badge of servitude, the imposition of which Congress may prevent under its power. The court in the civil rights cases also held that appropriate legislation under the amendment could go beyond nullifying state laws establishing or upholding slavery, because the amendment has a reflex character also, establishing and decreeing universal civil and political freedom throughout the United States and thus Congress was empowered to pass all laws necessary and proper for abolishing all badges and incidents of slavery in the United States. The court stated about the amendment's scope. This amendment, as well as the 14th, is undoubtedly self-executing, without any ancillary legislation, so far as its terms are applicable to any existing state of circumstances. By its own unaided force and effect, it abolished slavery and established universal freedom. Still, legislation may be necessary and proper to meet all the various cases and circumstances to be affected by it, and to prescribe proper modes of redress for its violation in letter or spirit. And such legislation may be primary and direct in its character, for the amendment is not a mere prohibition of state laws establishing or upholding slavery, but an absolute declaration that slavery or involuntary servitude shall not exist in any part of the United States. Attorneys in Plessy v. Ferguson, 1896, argued that racial segregation involved observances of a servile character coincident with the incidents of slavery, in violation of the 13th Amendment. In their brief to the Supreme Court, Plessy's lawyers wrote that distinction of race and caste was inherently unconstitutional. The Supreme Court rejected this reasoning and upheld state laws enforcing segregation under the separate but equal doctrine. In the, 7-1, majority decision, the court found that a statute which implies merely a legal distinction between the white and colored races, a distinction which is founded on the color of the two races and which must always exist so long as white men are distinguished from the other race by color, has no tendency to destroy the legal equality of the two races, or re-establish a state of involuntary servitude. Harlan dissented, writing, The thin disguise of equal accommodations for passengers in railroad coaches will not mislead anyone, nor, atone for the wrong this day done. In Hodges v. United States, 1906, the court struck down a federal statute providing for the punishment of two or more people who conspire to injure, oppress, threaten or intimidate any citizen in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States. A group of white men in Arkansas conspired to violently prevent eight black workers from performing their jobs at a lumber mill. The group was convicted by a federal grand jury. The Supreme Court ruled that the federal statute, which outlawed conspiracies to deprive citizens of their liberty, was not authorized by the 13th Amendment. It held that no mere personal assault or trespass or appropriation operates to reduce the individual to a condition of slavery. Harlan dissented, 
maintaining his opinion that the 13th Amendment should protect freedom beyond physical restraint. Corrigan v. Buckley, 1922, reaffirmed the interpretation from Hodges, finding that the amendment does not apply to restrictive covenants. Enforcement of federal civil rights law in the South created numerous peonage cases, which slowly traveled up through the judiciary. The Supreme Court ruled in Client v. United States, 1905, that peonage was involuntary servitude. It held that although employers sometimes describe their workers' entry into contract as voluntary, the servitude of peonage was always, by definition, involuntary. In Bailey v. Alabama the U.S. Supreme Court reaffirmed its holding that the 13th Amendment is not solely a ban on chattel slavery, it also covers a much broader array of labor arrangements and social deprivations. In addition to the aforesaid the court also ruled on Congress enforcement power under the 13th Amendment. The court said. The plain intention was to abolish slavery of whatever name and form and all its badges and incidents, to render impossible any state of bondage, to make labor free, by prohibiting the control by which the personal service of one man is disposed of or coerced for another's benefit, which is the essence of involuntary servitude. While the amendment was self-executing, so far as its terms were applicable to any existing condition, Congress was authorized to secure its complete enforcement by appropriate legislation. Jones and Beyond Legal history cite Jones v. Alfred H. Meyer Company, 1968, as a turning point of 13th Amendment jurisprudence. The Supreme Court confirmed in Jones that Congress may act rationally to prevent private actors from imposing badges and incidents of servitude. The Joneses were a black couple in St. Louis County, Missouri, who sued a real estate company for refusing to sell them a house. The court held. Congress has the power under the 13th Amendment rationally to determine what are the badges and the incidents of slavery, and the authority to translate that determination into effective legislation, this court recognized long ago that, whatever else they may have encompassed, the badges and incidents of slavery, its burdens and disabilities included restraints upon those fundamental rights which are the essence of civil freedom, namely, the same right, to inherit, purchase, lease, sell and convey property, as is enjoyed by white citizens. Civil Rights Cases, 109 U. S. 3, 109 U. S. 22. Just as the Black Codes, enacted after the Civil War to restrict the free exercise of those rights, were substitutes for the slave system, so the exclusion of Negroes from white communities became a substitute for the Black Codes. And when racial discrimination herds men into ghettos and makes their ability to buy property turn on the color of their skin, then it too is a relic of slavery. Negro citizens, North and South, who saw in the 13th Amendment a promise of freedom, freedom to go and come at pleasure and to buy and sell when they please would be left with a mere paper guarantee if Congress were powerless to assure that a dollar in the hands of a Negro will purchase the same thing as a dollar in the hands of a white man. At the very least, the freedom that Congress is empowered to secure under the 13th Amendment includes the freedom to buy whatever a white man can buy, the right to live wherever a white man can live. If Congress cannot say that being a free man means at least this much, then the 13th Amendment made a promise the nation cannot keep. The court in Jones reopened the issue of linking racism in contemporary society to the history of slavery in the United States. The Jones precedent has been used to justify congressional action to protect migrant workers and target sex trafficking. The direct enforcement power found in the 13th Amendment contrasts with that of the 14th, which allows only responses to institutional discrimination of state actors. Other cases of involuntary servitude. The Supreme Court has taken an especially narrow view of involuntary servitude claims made by people not descended from black, African, slaves. In Robertson v. Baldwin, 1897, a group of merchant seamen challenged federal statutes which criminalized a seaman's failure to complete their contractual term of service. 
The court ruled that Siemens contracts had been considered unique from time immemorial, and that the amendment was not intended to introduce any novel doctrine with respect to certain descriptions of service which have always been treated as exceptional. In this case, as in numerous badges and incidents cases, Justice Harlan authored a dissent favoring broader 13th Amendment protections. In selective draft law cases, the Supreme Court ruled that the military draft was not involuntary servitude. In United States v. Kosminski, the Supreme Court ruled that the 13th Amendment did not prohibit compulsion of servitude through psychological coercion. Kosminski defined involuntary servitude for purposes of criminal prosecution as a condition of servitude in which the victim is forced to work for the defendant by the use or threat of physical restraint or physical injury or by the use or threat of coercion through law or the legal process. This definition encompasses cases in which the defendant holds the victim in servitude by placing him or her in fear of such physical restraint or injury or legal coercion. The U.S. Courts of Appeals, in Immediato v. Rynex School District, Herndon v. Chapel Hill and Steyer v. Bethlehem School District, have ruled that the use of community service as a high school graduation requirement did not violate the 13th Amendment. Prior proposed 13th Amendments During the six decades following the 1804 ratification of the 12th Amendment two proposals to amend the Constitution were adopted by Congress and sent to the states for ratification. Neither has been ratified by the number of states necessary to become part of the Constitution. Each is referred to as Article 13, as was the successful 13th Amendment, in the joint resolution passed by Congress. The titles of Nobility Amendment, pending before the states since May 1, 1810, would, if ratified, strip citizenship from any United States citizen who accepts a title of nobility or honor from a foreign country without the consent of Congress. The Corwin Amendment, pending before the states since March 2, 1861, would, if ratified, shield domestic institutions of the states. In 1861 this was a common euphemism for slavery, from the constitutional amendment process and from abolition or interference by Congress. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.